Hello, greetings. Thanks for your interest in spiritual matters. My name is Ethan and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, the Apostle Paul declared, Do your best to present to yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, the Apostle Peter encouraged Christians to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ after he had warned them um, that they needed to give consideration to what had been written by Paul and others in his letters, that there are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. And so we see here, in both a positive and negative way, the importance of coming to a proper understanding and interpretation of what God has made known for us. Uh, and this especially is relevant when it comes, known, comes to what has been made known in Jesus uh, through the apostles. If we don't ha have a good understanding of how we should uh, understand the New Testament, we can fall into a lot of pitfalls and traps that have consumed many people over the past 2,000 years. And we can see the results of a lot of haphazard or, or, or forms of interpretation and uh, the warnings of falling into various perversions when we look at the uh, multitude of denominations out there that make up Christendom and all the various ways of understanding passages that are mutually contradictory out there. So, in a world where there's all of these difficulties and the likelihood of uh, that so many ways are wrong, how can we properly understand the New Testament? How can we make sure that we're properly following and applying God's word, especially as it relates to the New Testament? The first rule of any such interpretation is to read the text in context, to understand what the text is saying, uh, first to its original audience, and then to, to do the work of, of, of application. And that's when we look at interpretation. Normally we're looking at in terms of application. Surprisingly, there's much more agreement on basic level interpretation than one might imagine. When it comes to what does a text mean in its original context, there tends to be more agreement about that than would be commonly expected. Instead, uh, the real minefield comes into, okay, what does that mean for us now? And especially when it comes to the New Testament, we've got to look at passages and understand them in terms of their relevancy to us. And relevancy might seem to be a very subjective concept. Uh, and to an extent, it is a judgment call, but it is something that is inescapable when we look at what is made known to us in the pages of the New Testament. A good guideline when it comes to relevance is to consider a passage relevant unless there's a compelling reason otherwise. So we're, we're looking for the reason it's relevant. We're not trying to find ways to dismiss the text. A lot of errors have come in because people have spent more energy trying to dismiss it, saying, well, this, these are the reasons why we shouldn't apply it to today, than to really consider the reasons why it may actually be relevant. Uh, thinking particularly about what Jesus had to say on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and especially today in the, in the controversies when it comes to the roles of men and women, uh, especially as they fit in the, in the church. So there's a lot of passages that we can think of that have a high relevance. And the highest relevance would be a passage that is fully applicable to us today, that 
Paul could have said the same thing to us that he said to the Christians 2,000 years ago. So, for instance, the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 18 through 23. Uh, in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, when Paul talks about how we need to have the mind of Christ in us, that he deeply humbled himself, God exalted him, and that we should have that same idea. Those things are just as relevant to us as they were to the Galatian and Philippian Christians to whom it was written. From there, there's maybe a moderate relevance level. Uh, these are something that's directed to particular context, but there's lessons that we can, can get from them. And this can be a bit more difficult because um, the New Testament's working with a particular issue uh, that may not be directly something that we have a question about or directly relevant to us, but we can derive some lessons. So one good example of this is in Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 2, Paul is um, talking to Christians. He has Jewish Christians in mind. We know he has Jewish Christians in mind because he's bringing up these little things about, about the law. So, for instance, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed in the law, he continues in verses 17 and 18 there. Um, so, if you bear the name of the Jew, da, da, da. so you can say, well, you know what? I'm not a Jewish person. I've never been a Jewish person. Uh, of course you are, but for sake of argument here, let's, we'll say Gentiles, which most Christians today tend to be Gentile. Uh, therefore, this isn't relevant. And Paul is not writing directly to a context here because uh, the specific audience he's talking to here are, are these Jewish Christians. But we look here, what's going on here, uh, you who teach others, do not teach yourself. When you preach against stealing, do you steal? When you say one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law, for as it is written, the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you. Well, okay. What led Jewish Christians to the position where they needed that chastisement? Well, they put their confidence in their election, and they presumed the law, they presumed they were doing the law, even in places where they really weren't, and they projected upon those against them uh, complete iniquity. Well, that's a temptation that Christians have. This is something that is a constant temptation of the people of God. So even though Paul may not be directly speaking to uh, Gentile Christians in this passage, there's a whole lot that Christians who are not of a Jewish background can understand out of this and to apply to their faith in a beneficial way. That, yes, context is important, uh, relevance is a very important concept as we're seeing, but it can't be a straitjacket. Uh, there are definitely ways we can learn from the scriptures, even if they're not directly written to us. Uh, something also we can see here uh, in John 14, 1-17-26, Jesus is speaking to the eleven disciples in the garden. Uh, there are some things in that passage specifically to those uh, eleven, that the Holy Spirit would be given to them, that they would have remembrance of the things that they saw and heard in Jesus. Well, that's something that's not possible for us, but at the same time, John is re recording for us that dialogue. And there's a lot in that dialogue that is not just about the eleven, but those who believe on on uh, on Jesus from the word of the eleven. And many things that Jesus was going to accomplish to the eleven, he would accomplish to Christians as well. Maybe not everything, but definitely some things. There's a reason why that passage uh, was made known to us. And so it may not be directly to us, but there's a lot we can gain from it. And then there's some passages that would have more for us of a low relevance level. And these are firmly rooted in their context in ways that there's not as many applications. 
So, for instance, in Romans 16, we talk about Romans here. Uh, Romans 16 is a listing. Greet Prisca and Aquila, who risk their necks. Uh, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of Gentiles give thanks as well. I mean, we can give thanks for Aquila and Priscilla and their example of faith 2,000 years later, but we can't greet them. They have gone on to their reward. All these people here who, who Paul tells them to greet, we can't greet. Now, we can draw from this the importance of, of identifying Christians by name and indicating greetings to provide make those connections. Uh, so there's authority there for us to say, hey, when you go uh, visit this church, say hi to brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so for me. Uh, that kind of greeting there is certainly in the spirit of what Paul has to say here. Uh, but we can see that these things, well, there's not a lot that we can directly uh, gain from it because it's just something we cannot do. And so uh, it's important to keep in mind, and there's a lot of imbalance here. There are some people who completely uh, reduce the boundary between the people of the past and the people of the present. So they think whatever was written to the Corinthians is just as applicable to them, for instance. Uh, and people go the other extreme, that because of the complete distance, they question whether anything uh, or much of anything from the New Testament is relevant to them. And that's not, neither of those is a healthy place to be. Uh, we have to understand that it is, we are remote from the context specifically, but that it was all made known and written down so that we could learn from it in our faith. And so there is much that we can gain from it. And we have to let the Word of God search us and understand that we will never master the Word of God. Instead, we let the Word of God master us. And that's true wisdom and learning in the faith. And we cultivate that through our searching of the Scriptures, the study of the Scriptures, and the devotion to the practice of the faith. Now, when we've established relevancy, so we've come to an understanding of what the text means in context, We've understood its relevancy. We could explore for whatever profit it may have for us, the history of interpretation, to understand why people took different paths and to see where those different paths maybe uh, uh, have led into difficulties. But when it, we shouldn't make the faith too academic. Doctrines are important, but doctrines only are important in as much as they lead to practice. Ideas on their own aren't worth a whole lot. Uh, faith without works is dead. So it, it's about how those ideas, how our understanding of things leads to action. And therefore, it comes down to how do we apply the things that we have gained. When we've understood relevance, we can then move into understanding authority. Now, how do we get authority? And authority is important. In Colossians 3, verse 17, all the things that we do, we're supposed to do in the name of Jesus. Colossians 3, 17, 18. So, in the name of means by the authority of. If we say Jesus is Lord, we're confessing that he is in charge and we are not. If we are not in charge, we are his servants. Servants act at the behest of their Lord. So, we need to be able to say, hey, what I'm doing is coming, uh, is based in this, what I know the Lord has established to be true. And how we do that, well, he's communicated his purposes through his servants, the apostles, who have made it known in the scriptures. By common confession, this is ultimately the basis of anything we can know about Jesus. Somebody comes up with these uh, some ideas about something Jesus said or did. How are we going to be able to understand if that's true or not? Well, we've got to test them. We test them based on what has already been made known and of what we are certain of in the scriptures. And when we look in the scriptures, we see that, that God has authorized things in commands and in examples 
and sometimes based on the conclusions we have to draw from things that we see in the text sometimes called necessary inferences so we start with commands um, many times statements are made that demand that things are to be done or not to be done we call these commands so Romans 12 I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is acceptable good and perfect uh, he continues on let love be genuine abhor what is evil hold fast what is good this passage is full of all of these uh, exhort these commands these exhortations uh, some people want to make strict delineations between them but really it's just rhetorical devices uh, I appeal to you to do this versus do this, the end goal is still the same, that the thing is to be done. Um, this is where relevance comes in very powerfully, because there are commands that are, like for instance, greet Aquila and Prisca. That's a command, but that's a command we cannot fulfill. Uh, so we definitely need to make sure that the command is, is fully relevant. But again, the, the standard is not, well, we need to prove it's relevant. It's the opposite. No, we need to have reason to believe it's not relevant. And that's important to keep in mind. And Jesus himself tells us how important it is to follow the commands, uh, to do the commandments, and you're in him when you do the commandments. And uh, John will establish in 1 John chapter 2, and in verse 3 through 5. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in him. So, a lot of people put love and commandments in very different categories. But here we show our love by doing the commandments, that we are, we are doing the things he told us to do. That's how we show that we love him. In fact, Jesus himself would say in John, in that final discourse with his disciples, that he has demonstrated his love for the Father inasmuch as he has done the things the Father has told him to do. There's also, uh, in verse 6, as we continue there, uh, we know that we are in him, Whoever says he abides him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. It's very important that, yes, we have all these words from God in the scriptures, but it's not just words that we've received. Jesus has made it clear that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way. He is the truth. And so we have the embodiment of what is good, right, holy, and true. The embodiment of God's character in Jesus. And if there's the embodiment of God's character in Jesus, it means by necessity, and as we've seen here in 1 John, that we must follow his example. And Paul will, will elevate that to a command. So we have a command to follow the example in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So there's already a, a command to follow examples. And it's very important uh, because with examples, examples tell us a lot. Uh, because in examples, we see things that are, are well and also unwell. So following commandments is, is sometimes flattened by people like, well, you know, if they did in the Bible, we can do it too. No. No, there's lots of things that people do in the pages of the Bible that we're not supposed to do. There's a lot of murder and adultery and all kinds of bad things in the Bible. Uh, a lot of times the stories aren't nearly as PG as we've been told or made it out to be that they are. Uh, a lot of them are not family friendly. We're not supposed to do all those things. Uh, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says that we're supposed to learn from a lot of the examples of people so that we don't do what they did. Because we don't want to share in the same faith that they did. 
And so that's why a lot of times we talk about apostolically approved examples. When we see something that an apostle himself does and, and has commendation for, or an apostle commends, that we uh, recognize that those are the type of things that we should do. And it also gives us some idea of how we could go about doing them. And again, the relevancy scale uh, is very important. And also to note when we have situations in which we see many ways in which something is done. That, that That is also an indication that we actually have a matter of liberty there. And yet examples remain very important because Jesus is our example and the apostles following Jesus are our examples and we are to follow after them. And it, it puts uh, bones and flesh on what it means to follow Jesus. And it's compellingly powerful for the faith. When it comes to conclusions, matters of conclusion, this is this can be a very contentious matter, but there are clear ways in which it has to exist, uh, however much begrudgingly we want to concede it. Or on the other hand, there are some people who get too zealous for inferences and want to push inferences that aren't really necessary. And that's why it's important to have necessary inferences. Uh, you can make a lot of inferences. An inference, by the way, the word not necessarily always used, is a uh, conclusion a person draws from what they see uh, in a text or an event. So a person infers based on the evidence given to them. Uh, however, a communicator is the one who implies uh, based on on the same kind of standard. So a, a great example, this is in Acts 8, 34 through 39. Um, the eunuch is on the road to uh, going down back to Ethiopia. Uh, he's reading in Isaiah 53. Philip meets him in the chariot. Uh, the eunuch wants to know about who, who's being talked about in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. And from there, we're told that uh, Philip preached Jesus. And at a point when the eunuch saw water, he said, Here, water, what hinders me from being baptized? Now, based on all that information, which all the information given, our necessary conclusion, the necessary inference, is that in talking about the gospel, Philip mentioned baptism, explained baptism, because uh, there is no way that the eunuch would intuit on his own that the proper faith response to hearing about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is to be immersed in water for the mission of your sins. That you don't intuit from that story. You don't hear that story and uh, without reference to baptism, like, oh, I need to be baptized. Um, no, that this part of that story includes that that is the normative response of faith. That is a necessary inference. Um, Matthew 25, 31 through 46, the fact that uh, the judgment scene there is based on how we treat the least of these, uh, the brethren of Jesus, demonstrates to us that uh, the conclusion of that, the necessary conclusion, is that helping those in need is extremely important because Jesus is willing to look at the entire judgment scene in terms of just that one issue. It would be an unnecessary inference to say that, well, Jesus doesn't care about your personal morality as long as you're helping other people. That would be going well beyond anything the text says. Just because Jesus is emphasizing one thing doesn't mean that there's a complete neglect of another thing. Uh, but we can conclude from that that helping other people is absolutely important. So that even though it would be wrong for us to say, hey, if we are focused on helping other people, but... Uh, we get a pass on some of the things we're doing personally. We know that's not true. We also know that we can't tell to ourselves, well, we are maintaining a high level of personal holiness, so how we treat others is less important. We know for certain that that is not true based on what is said in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, because we see how important uh, it is to care for those who are um, in need uh, because of how Jesus framed that discussion of the judgment. And 
You know, the another powerful example of inference is Jesus himself in Matthew 22, 20 through 32, when he's refuting the Sadducees. He says um, that in the scriptures it is written, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus from that concludes that, that the resurrection is taught because God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Uh, again, not the something you may automatically intuit from that passage, but Jesus is showing that uh, that conclusion is possible from that text. And and therefore can be a mechanism for teaching. Um, we need to be careful with it, of course, because we a lot of times people can try to use that same mentality and teach things that are not really taught uh, by God in Christ. And that's why everything keeps going back to the commands that were given to follow Jesus and the example embodied in Jesus. And if our inferences are getting us away from the example embodied in Jesus, it means that our, our, our conclusions are being driven more by culture or something else and not by Jesus. And the problem is ours, not with the text and not with God. So, in the end, that's how we apply to our lives. We're going to look at these, look at the text. We're going to see the things it commands to be done. We're going to see the examples it gives. We're going to draw some conclusions that we need to based on uh, putting the story together in some ways. That's how we're going to understand how we're going to live our lives in faith. But there's also the need for scope to understand matters of authority. And this is where some people really start critiquing how we understand authority, thinking that, well, it seems arbitrary, it seems capricious. It comes most often from a misunderstanding of what I'm calling scope. Scope is something that's either general or specific when it comes to authority. So a general scope is also known as generic authority. Uh, so the idea of general scope is that you get a broad outline and there's liberty in the details. That the, the primary concern is the broad outline, not the details. When we say that the concern is not on the details, that doesn't mean that the details are completely unimportant. It just means that when God has authorized this matter, the more the pressing thing is more to that is to be done, not in specifying the way it's supposed to be done. So there is a range of uh, different ways it can be done, uh, which provides the flexibility the Christians need to fulfill that command in various contexts. So uh, with commands, uh, preaching the gospel. Which are the golden preach the gospel? Uh, we're not given specifics on how to go to preach. So the way of of of, of going, uh, we see people taking boats, we see people taking chariots, we see people taking walking. So we can see that there's a general scope of authority. Though there's many ways that we can go, we can see even on how it gets preached. You know, we see that uh, among the Jews, uh, Paul and Peter uh, replete with, you know, talking about the examples of, in Israel, doing, rehearsing Israelite history, uh, dense with quotations of the prophets. Uh, when talking to uh, the uh, God-fearers like Cornelius, still a lot of scripture peppered in. When we go to the, uh, Acts 17 in Athens, uh, scripture is alluded to. Uh, the, the truths about God revealed... Uh, Israel are alluded to, but there's no specific quotation of them. Instead, there's quotation of of glint, glint of light that's seen in the uh, Greeks. Uh, certain things that the Greeks were fumbling toward the truth in God and in, in in what He had made known to Israel, and then in Jesus uh, to appeal to them for them to see uh, the truth of what God has made known. So even in the way in which the message gets now, it doesn't mean we get the the liberty to preach a different message uh, or to corrupt the message. No, but it says that the way that we proclaim the message needs to keep those who are listening in mind. 
and that's an important in form of instruction and that provides liberty so that you're not put in a straitjacket to proclaim it in only one mechanism through only one means. Um, so a command with general scope is leading to liberty when there's no specific examples in the scriptures for its execution and God is otherwise silent on that detail. Uh, so there you go. Another, uh, with an example, for instance, we have Acts 20 and verse 7, that the Christians came together the first day of the week. So we're going to look at, hey, that's a specific example, that's very important. But even a specific example, it's not entirely specific, is it? Because they didn't say what time they met. Uh, we, could you meet in the morning or the evening? Well, there's a matter of liberty there. You need to meet in the first day of the week, perhaps, but you, the exact time at which uh, we are to meet is not exactly uh, specified, as long as it's on the first day of the week. Um and also, we talk about the examples. Uh, examples of general scope are demonstrated with inconsistency. So we saw people preach the gospel in different ways. That doesn't mean there's a contradiction. It just means that there is that the the, the, the examples demonstrate there's a liberty present. Um, and that's when we we understand that we have different means by which we can do that. Um, inferences will sometimes provide authority on a general scope. The inference shows something may be true, but it's not talking about other details in the matter. Um, so, for instance, we find out, hey, we're supposed to help people in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. That doesn't specify exactly how we're to help people, except for visiting the those who are sick or in prison, uh, feeding the hungry. Okay, sure, but the mechanisms by which we actually go do that uh, are matters that we, to, as long as we personally are the ones doing that work, we have the liberty there. So those are the ways gen general works. And honestly, a lot of the faith does come down to a general scope. Uh, it's not nearly as rigid and as inflexible as many make it out to be. When you get down to it, a large number of the way we do things are based on the liberty, uh, how we accomplish certain things, and we can do them and accomplish them in different ways. Um, when it comes to specific scope, specific scope is also known as specific authority, uh, is an indication when, hey, when God does speak in specifics, there's a specific reason for it, and there, we normally have to respect that, that we have to follow those specifics without variance. So, for instance, in, in Hebrews chapter 7, we see uh, an illustration of this in verses uh, 12 through 14. For when there is a change of priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. What the idea of said nothing is that God specified Levi would be the priests. And when in Israel, uh, people tried to become priests of other from other tribes, uh, it didn't go well for them. That uh, their, uh, Uzziah, for instance, one of... Jesus' ancestors uh, was struck struck with leprosy because he uh, presumed to go and make an offering on the altar. So what we see here is that when God specified that the Levites would be the priests, that excluded all the other tribes. And so that specific declaration there was important. And so if something is not mentioned when it comes to specific authority, it's just not allowed. So when God is specific with a command, we must follow what is said. So in Ephesians 5, 19, Colossians 3, 16, uh, he says that we are to uh, speak to one another in song, uh, not with instruments, not another. Uh, uh, so there's no authority there to play. And that's why we sing without instruments, to focus on the message and not its performance. 
And when an example is specific, we should follow the specifics of the example when it's appropriate. First uh, Corinthians 11, 23-26. Uh, we have unleavened bread and fruit of the vine for the Lord's Supper because uh, the Lord's Supper was inaugurated in Passover. And during Passover, all leaven is to be removed from the house. And uh, leavening agent is what makes grape juice into wine. A leavening agent is what makes um, unleavened bread into leavened bread. And not only that, but there's a theological premise there in 1 Corinthians 5 uh, that we are to, uh, Christ our Passover has been sacrificed and we're not to allow leaven to leaven the lump. So there's power in that particular image and in the use of unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. But, for instance, to go beyond that, to say, well, there should only be one loaf and one cup. Well, in, in Acts chapter 2, you had 3,000 gathering together and, and sharing together. Um, there was most likely more than one cup involved. Um, to The issue was never the container, it's the substance. And it's the unity of the substance, not the unity of the container, that is in view in the observation of the Lord's Supper. As an example. So the scope of authority determines what we should do with silence. Sometimes uh, talking about silence, people just kind of go into absolutes. That uh, so if it's if God's silent about it, there's just automatic condemnation. Or, or if there's silence, there's automatic liberty. And it's not that way at all. If you have generic scope and silence, there's liberty. So God says you should do you should do this, and they're not it's not specified. There there are ways different ways you can do it. There's liberty there. But if God say do does this in in this way then there is no uh, liberty in silence. That silence means there's prohibition. Do it this way means other ways are not authorized, unless explicitly done in other places, and then it's a very different situation. Important to remember about liberties. We've talked a lot about liberties. Uh, the problem with liberties with Americans is that Americans think about liberties and think about things they have to die to defend. When in Christ, liberties are the first things you go because they don't matter. So in Romans 14, for instance, there's issues of liberties. Eating meat is a liberty. You can eat meat if you want, uh, but not eating meat will not condemn you to God. Uh, so people who would condemn other people for eating meat are, are going too far. Uh, people who would despise others because they don't eat meat are not loving their brethren and, and putting issues that don't matter in the way of brethren. And so if there are some who have no faith in doing the Lord's will in a certain way, even if we think that there is authority to do it that way, uh, we do well to respect the conscience of our brother or sister and to find ways that we can accomplish the Lord's purposes in, in, in a mutually agreeable way that the conscience of, of none uh, are violated. So when we establish the scope of the authority, we understand when we have liberty and when we have to follow what is written uh, without uh, going to the left or to the right. So there's a lot involved in New Testament interpretation. Uh, we can look at all kinds of different passages and other times we can do that and, and see how we're supposed to apply it. And in fact, much of the work of preaching is in, involving digging into the text based in who we are now, understanding what was going on then, and trying to find a way, how can we glorify and honor Jesus and embody uh, the faith according to what is written. But to do that, there are these general things that we've established. We need to understand the text in its context. We need to understand the level of relevance. And assume it is relevant unless there's reason otherwise. We then need to establish the command, example, or inference in how uh, those are working, uh, whether the scope is gen uh, uh, general or specific, and whether it's matters of liberties or we have to follow it in a, in a particular way. And when we do those things, we'll be in a better position to be able to uh, fulfill what God has expect from us in Jesus uh, to seek to embody him 
in all things and to glorify him. And may we all seek to do that and obtain the resurrection of life. If you've benefited with this message, we encourage you to share it with others on social media and other places. Uh, if you have any questions or comments about anything that we've talked about, uh, please feel free to reach out to us and find us on VentureToChrist.org or on social media. And, or you can reach me at my website, www.deverbovitae.com, www.deverbovitae.com. Again, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you have a great day.